My name is Janice B. Gordon, and this is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to Scale Your Sales Podcast. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn Sales as one of 15 innovating sales influencers to follow. In today's episode of Scale Your Sales Podcast, my guest talks about selling commercial sponsorship in an industry that is changing and evolving so quickly their, and how their business model has changed from straight selling commercial sponsorship to actually selling technology or across multiple industries, whether it's service or aerospace to healthcare, defense, space, energy, really exciting. Now, the key lessons from this Formula One experience, we were talking about in the way that they have changed to embrace diversity, the initiatives that are are, uh, about and how they make sure they remain focused on the customers. So there were so many lessons to be learned on this experience on, you know, the customer's journey, leadership, innovation, diversity, you're going to love this episode. My next guest is the founder and managing director of Performance Insights, a former senior executive with Jordan Grumpy, BP, Pre. My next guest is the founder and managing director of Performance Insights, a former senior executive with Jordan Grand Prix, Red Bull Racing, and Cosworth Formula One racing organizations. A public speaker, broadcaster, and author who has worked in the high performance world of F1 racing for over 40 years. It is my great pleasure. Welcome to Scale Yourselves podcast, Mark Gallagher. I'm delighted to be here. Great to see you, Janice. It's great for you to be here. You know, I used to uh, own and run a a restaurant in Leicester and we had Mum Champagne and they invited me to Silverstone. So this was 2007, 2008. And oh, blimey, is it noisy? But, you know, I was, (laughs) you know, had all the hospitality and I fell in love with F1. And it's like it's almost it didn't exist until that point in time for me. And one of the reasons was that I had a hero, there's someone I could recognise as a black man, um, uh, Lewis Hamilton there, and I could follow his path, I could understand his upbringing, and it really made it accessible um, for me, and I've, you know, adored him ever, ever since then. So, for you, how do I, how do you feel that F1 has uh, embraced? and encourage not only the generations, but kind of from a diversity point of view to make it yeah. make it what it is, but improve upon the accessibility of F1. Yeah, so it, not before time, Janice. And by the way, I'm delighted to hear that you were in Formula One thanks to Champagne. I mean, that's a really good way to come into <laughs> Formula One. And way. of course, in, and of course, in uh, Lewis, you couldn't have a better person to be following. I mean, my goodness, he's a legend. He's the, you know, 100 times, over 100 times he's won Grand Prix, seven world championships, all of that. Um, but 
you know, I have to say that, you know, the, the, the sport, the, the sport's extraordinary at attracting people in a, in a particular way. And, you know, I belong to, and, and I completely put my hand up when I say this, I belong to the traditional older generation. You know, it was, a, it used to be a predominantly sort of white male sport. We used to sell in pale, you know, it was just dreadful. And that has changed and it's changed brilliantly. I mean, I see it with my own kids and then I see it with the new generation of fans that we have attracted. And, you know, I know, Janice, you talk a lot about selling. I mean, if you think about how Formula One has sold itself over the last yeah. 15 years, yeah. it's all been about the, the D word to start with, diversity, but di diversity in lots of different ways, diversity and inclusion in terms of the fan base and who we reach out to, the people that we employ in the industry. I mean, the Mercedes-Benz Formula One team has a wonderful program called Accelerate 2025, which means that by 2025, 25% of all new recruitment from underrepresented uh, demographics within the Formula One industry. So, and it will not surprise you to know that Lewis Hamilton has a very, a very big impact, not just on Formula One, but on his Mercedes-Benz team in, in relation to that. So we have seen a broadening of the base. And I have to say that, you know, I love to say to people, well, yes, of course, you know, we're, we understand the benefit of our organizations reflecting the society that we serve. But I have to tell you, Janice, it also really, when I reflect on how the change really started, it actually started for quite brutally commercial reasons because we were struggling to attract engineers. We were struggling to attract technicians. I mean, because first of all, we were only targeting, you know, principally guys and not guys and girls. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing was we were tackling predominantly Europeans. And now we want the best people in the world. And we, you know, it, irrespective of gender, culture, background, whatever, you know, it's it. And of course, this means from a commercial point of view, therefore, our teams are stronger and we're attracting the best people in the world. And that's really what um, was the starting point, I feel, for the transformation that has continued to this day. And, and it's wonderful to see. And I, my industry at sales, we're not quite yeah. there yet. <laughs> We've got a yeah. long way to go. The percentages are uh, women sales leaders, 17%. It hasn't changed in the last, you know, 10, 20 years. The, uh, in fact, the pandemic, a lot, um, the, the numbers of, of women in sales as, as, uh, sales professions has fallen significantly from, from the pandemic. So we're not going in the right direction. Even if we look at the, the FTSE 100 here in the UK, you know, we're not no. going in the right direction. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, the Mercedes initiative that other, teams take that on 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 board but it's really about being future focus isn't it really you've got to be able to pull the the best talent from the global workforce nowadays yeah. um and so it, it it should make sense and we know the stats it's it's uh diverse teams are more creative and innovative and you you've written books about it you you know you know about this yeah. um yeah. but the actual numbers are, are, are not um, are not uh, there yet. Yeah, it's it's a, such an interesting topic because you can imagine, Janice. I get asked to speak at a lot of corporate events where people ask me to talk about how do you build a high performance team? How do you build an innovative team? How do you build a team that's you know the best in class? 
And I say, well, one of the great ways is to get lots of different perspectives, which means you have people from lots of different backgrounds. And they and, and instead of having group think, we've got a group of people who are all like minded and they look like each other and they all behave the same. I mean, we actually want someone to come into the meeting and go, you know what? Here's a different idea. Here's a different suggestion. Here's my perspective on it. So for, for us, the diversity and inclusion piece makes really good business sense because it means we build strong, formidable, resilient, create. You use you know, the creative word. Creativity is what innovation is all about. It's people thinking about how can we do things in new, exciting and different and different ways. So I'm, you know, I'm at, at towards the end of my career now. And I have to say, when people say to me, what are the things that have given you the most satisfaction? It's to see how our industry has actually embraced change. And, um, you know, that, that's very pleasing to see. So long may I continue. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll talk about this on the podcast and on the systemized change as well which is fantastic in the processes and and so forth and i know that you talk a lot about that in, in but first thing i want to cover is your recent book future mm -hmm. business formula the the change to change faster and accelerate business success now what i want to read to you is an, a, a brilliant review and it really made me chuckle i absolutely loved it and it says um one of the refreshing rare business books that that is meaningful whilst pragmatic, non-wanky and relatable. In an industry awash with so much theatrical dribble that is little or no practical use in the real world, an experienced enthusiastic practitioner like Adrian and courageous exec like Mark cut through the SHIT with this gem. <laughs> this playbook is an enjoyable read with practical uh, tips, great stories and useful antidote. It serves as a really good framework through which to critically look at how well an organization is optimized and delivering value. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love it. Please send me that. I'll, I'll frame that and put it on my office wall. Uh, and look, if you're going to write a book, that's the kind of review that you want. It's incredible. Well done. Well, I have to put my hand up and say, uh, so Adrian Stalham is, um, uh, at, uh, works for the company called Sullivan and Stanley in London, who I've worked with now for about six years. And essentially, they see themselves as change agents, They're not a, tr a traditional consultancy business. They, in fact, do quite a different Thing. They go into organizations and help them to change their mindset as well as transforming their business. Because one of the things that Adrian and his colleagues are passionate about is that, you know, all the old idea that, you know, you have a five year plan and you stick to that, you know, that's gone out the window because, you know, none of us know where we'll be in, in some cases, five months, never mind five years. And we've got to be much more agile as organizations and much, I mean, a bit again, back to creativity and innovation. We have to be much more innovative, very agile. Think about what the, who, who the customer, what does the customer actually want? What are we selling to them? Is this thing that we're selling to them yesterday's product as opposed to today's product that needs to be fresh and exciting and appealing? So Adrian's an expert on this. And obviously I have my expertise in Formula One. So we came together and uh, Pat Lines, who's the chief executive at Sullivan Stanley, he said, listen, guys, you, you got to go and write a book. And so we put that together uh, really over the course of 2021-22. Uh, 
and it's been received really well. And I think one of the things that you can say about both of us is that neither of us is a theorist. We're both practitioners. So we both led organization, led change, led transformation. We know what it takes to, we know what the pitfalls are. And again, quite frankly, I'm sort of old enough and now bold enough to be able to look back and say, a lot of the old ways of running businesses are just, they just no longer stand the test of time. You know, you can't be a command and control boss telling everybody what to do. It's far, far better to be slightly more enlightened and employ great people and then give them a fantastic environment within which to thrive and develop. And so the book is very much about the principles behind that and, and how, it's, how it's developed. And um, it was fun writing it and really good response to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, scale your sales framework and the principles um, is all about the customer taking on the customer's perspective. And I often say to leaders that, do you know the impact on the customer? And that if they they can't re answer me with real value, what is the, the defined impact? And I said, well, why are you making that decision? You know, why are you making the decision if you don't know the impact? On it? You might know the impact on you internally, but you don't know the impact yeah. on your end customer. So you shouldn't be making the decision until you actually know the consequences to your end customer. So I'm often challenging leaders from from that point in sales, customer centric sales, everything you do, every decision you make. So I'm really interested in your 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 perspective um, of you know measure what matters to the customer and how to truly put the customer at the heart of organizations so how yeah, yeah. well do you think we're doing that you know as uh, organizations it, it, it's so interesting isn't it when you're living this and i mean you clearly live this experience thinking about customer centricity you know the customer experience i do david coulthard who's i'm, I'm name dropping now he's an ex-formula one driver and i do a lot of work with him and david um talks about this now you might think it's crazy to have a formula one driver talking about customer centricity but um you know david is a businessman now he came out of formula one with having earned good money and he's created a very successful business and he believes passionately in the fact that you make things work by fo focusing on the people factor, whether that's the people around you working for you or whether that's the people that you're selling to. And if you really understand what the customer is looking for, and you can only do that by having a proper conversation, building a relationship with them, you can then deliver the, the good or the service in a much more tailored way and in a much more appealing way and really match requirements to your offering and you know the, the when i look at this topic i think about my own practical experience because i was on the management board of the jordan formula one team it's now the aston martin team and we had a sales target uh, i remember one year our sales target was 140 million dollars we we deal in dollars in formula one because it's a, a global sport so a very small team of about three or four of us at Silverstone effectively selling $140 million of commercial sponsorship. And we were not world champions. We were not winning lots of Grand Prix. We didn't have the best, the best of everything. We were still a, a relatively small team, but we achieved our target. I remember the chief executive of one of the really big teams, McLaren, giving a press conference in which he said, you know, I don't really understand how Jordan have managed to sell all of that sponsorship when, you know, they're not as big as us and they haven't had as much success. And honestly, Janice, the reason we were able to sell 
is that I was and, and my colleagues, we were passionate about understanding what the customer wanted. And I used to say to customers, yeah, you know, you could go on and, and buy from a competitor. But if you buy from us, the difference is that on a wet Tuesday in February, when you need something, we'll be there for you. Yeah. And you will find our customer service and our customer city is there all the time. We're we're not selling this to you on the basis that, you know, you might have a you might win the odd Formula One race with us and, and have a nice bit of PR. We're selling this on the basis that we will be your business partners for 365 days of the year. Uh, we will really work closely with you to make sure that we don't just dot the I's and cross the T's, but we add so much value that you will just want to keep coming back and back and back. And that worked. That approach really, really worked. And the other benefit it had, Janice, was that within no time at all, we had built a reputation and people were beating a path to our door saying, actually, we want to partner with you. We don't want to partner with the other teams because they just kind of take our money and run, whereas you guys seem to put a bit more effort into building a relationship. And so that that focus for me manifested itself in a very practical way. And it's one of the reasons our company became uh, not only profitable, but we were able to sustain our growth and our profitability over many years. That's a great story. I love it. Fantastic. And you, it doesn't date, does it, really? You know, it doesn't. It, well, it's, it's about human to human, really. It's, you know, it's so not rocket science. You know, it's about it's about people. And, you know, you, you and I, and our careers involved in selling, but we've also spent our lives as customers. You know, we've all had the customer experience. Um, uh, again, if I talk about David Coulthard, I remember David standing in front of an audience telling a story about, he said, like, when you check into a hotel and they make you make you wait for 25 minutes and you're standing there thinking, I'm, I'm literally trying to give these people money so that I can stay in a room in their hotel. And, that, and by the way, we booked it six months ago. So it's not really a surprise that I've turned up as a customer for this room. So, of course, when David went into the hotel business, the first thing he did was address the check-in procedure because he said, I want customers to walk into my hotel, walk up to reception and have someone say, oh, good morning, good morning, Susan, or good evening, and here's your room key, and is there anything else we can do for you? And make it such a pleasurable experience that you just want to keep coming back. So that customer experience, you know, walk the walk. You know, if you were a customer of yourself, what would that feeling be like? Would you feel cherished and looked after and, and you know, valued? Or would you feel that it was purely transactional and, you know, we'll just take your money and that's the end of it? So I think, you know, it really manifests itself in very practical ways. And it, it slightly puzzles me that more sales organizations don't really focus enough on what's the customer's view of how, what we're like with yeah yeah i worked with them um, what if many years ago and uh they were one of the first organizations that started talking about um customer experience and yeah. um and i've carried that through in the way that i approach sales ever since then and uh, you're absolutely right. I just it astounds me why more organisations are not really focused on 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 that. But anyway, that's what we're here to do. Yeah, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mark, I'm particularly interested. I'm interested in everything that you you do, but I'm interested in how you got into F1. And I went back in your LinkedIn profile, going further down, and it was interesting. F1 correspondent. 
Um, yeah. Motor racing journalist and script writer, content creator. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. this is interesting. So tell me more. So I'm, I'm sure you get this, Janice. You know, you get young folk approach approach you and say, so how do I get into your world? How do I get your job? You know, and I get that obviously. And people say to me, how on earth do you end up on the management of a Formula One team? Yeah. Well, of course, the reality is that to get from a to z you go through lots of other points and i realized when i came out of university that if i really really genuinely wanted to work in formula one i needed to follow the opportunity that arose and the first opportunity that arose was a job advertised in a formula one magazine and i i wasn't a journalist you know i was a business graduate but i thought you know what going and working in the media could be fun because the media you know, they network like crazy and they get to know people. And sure enough, that's how it turned out. So I, in the end, I spent seven years working in the media. I did become uh, a writer and a broadcaster. And then I very quickly moved into um, realizing that, you know, whilst the media is great, if you want to make proper money, you know, work on the commercial side, work in sales, work in, you know, the business side. Again, a transformation. So I went from media to public public relations and then into, you know, commercial uh, commercial operations, selling sponsorship, to be blunt. Um, I remember the very first deal I ever did. It was a one and a half million dollar deal with a, an information technology company. And that deal secured me my employment effectively Jordan Grand Prix and then I ended up there for I mean I worked with Eddie Jordan for nearly a decade and a half and went through sales and into customer service and and in the end I ran the sort of commercial side of the of the business so I had a team of people working for me and so that was my path so it's all about seizing opportunities so whenever people write to me on LinkedIn and say how do I get a job in Formula One I say to them, well, it's probably not going to be the first thing that happens. So you're going to have to take opportunities, network like crazy, build a path. Ultimately, if you're going to sell yourself to a Formula One team, you've got to build a formidable CV and 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 you've got to build the appeal. Why would a Formula One team want you to come and work for them? And and so, yeah, you may have to go from A to B to C before you get to, to D and E. And uh, it worked really well for me, and here I am 40 years later, and I've spent my career working in the industry I love. So what one? So, what was the point when you thought, I want to be in this industry, I'm going to do a business degree, and then, I'm, you know, you're... So what was the love? It, it's so funny. I um, So I did a business degree, and I was going to become an accountant, uh, actually. That was going to be my uh, future, and uh, very much something I talked about with my parents. Um, but I loved Formula One as a child. I fell in love with Formula One when I was about seven or eight years of age. Um, I remember as a teenager saying to my careers advisor at school, um, he said to me, what would you really like to do? And I said, I'd really like to work in Formula One. And he said, oh, don't be silly. That's never going to happen. You know, why don't you become a school, become a school teacher? Mm -hmm. And and so when I graduated, I kind of felt, well, I've done my bit. You know, I've studied hard. I've got my degree. And when this job came up, I thought, you know, I'm going to seize that. And I remember my parents saying to me, how long do you think you'll do this for? And I said, well, you know, I'll give it a year or two and see how it works out. I think the last time my father said, 
when are you going to get a proper job? I was 40 years old and I was on the board of the Jordan Formula One team. So, um, you know, the, my parents never quite got used to the fact that I forged a career in the sport that I love. But I think as we all know only too well, if you follow your passion, if you do the thing that excites you, it doesn't even feel like work. And yes, it's, you know, it's not been a bed of roses. I've endured lots of, you know, tricky times like anyone does in any any career. But fundamentally, I, I love it. And in answer to your question, what do I love about Formula One? I love the fact that it's about teams of people working with amazing technology to cr in a highly competitive environment. I mean, you talk about Lewis Hamilton. I mean, I've had the privilege of working with Lewis. We did a big corporate event together in Singapore just before uh, the first lockdown. It was actually February 2020, can you believe? Mm -hmm. And um, he spent an hour on stage with Lewis Hamilton talking about his journey, what makes him tick. How could you be inspired by that? You know, how could you not come away thinking, wow, I'm so fortunate and privileged to be able to meet people like that and understand what makes them truly world class. So from every perspective, you know, my initial love for Formula One has trans transitioned into this career. And I'm as enthusiastic about it today as I was when I was that seven year old watching my first race. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. As you say, what a privilege, fantastic. Yeah. 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 So Formula One has reinvented itself over the last um, 20 years and yeah. You know, and then the business model has, has changed in me and you're very much at the forefront of that. So tell me how that happened, how it evolved. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So some some listeners will be familiar with the fact that Formula One was run for about 40 years by by a guy called Bernie Eccleston. He was the chief executive of Formula One until uh, really the end of 2016. And Bernie did an amazing job in sort of building the the baseline uh business model of formula one which was you know television rights selling television rights uh selling sponsorship um again uh, i mean bernie's a sales sales guy and um and that was the model what has then really changed Anis, is that when formula one was sold to an american entertainment group called liberty media in uh the autumn of uh, 2016 they took the existing business model and they reconfigured it. So we still make a great deal of money by selling to media companies. But instead of it just being terrestrial TV, it's now streaming companies. It's the YouTubes. It's the um, it's the online computer gaming uh, companies, which reach the, the young generations, that Gen Z, even Gen Alpha uh, audiences. Uh, so we've broadened who we sell. Commercial sponsorship remains a really important part of our business offering, and that has broadened because Formula One, in building a larger fan base through those that multiple channels that it sells itself to, has has grown the audience. And of course, the companies that we sell to want those eyeballs on their brands. So therefore, the commercial sponsorship has really accelerated. Um, Liberty have also been innovative, so they've done things like uh the deal with netflix to create the drive to survive series that's built formula one so there's been a lot of change in the way that liberty have packaged formula one for the new generation of audiences keep the existing audience, add new audiences add new customer bases package and tailor content to suit those audiences be it 
10 year olds, 15 year olds, 20 year olds, whatever TikTok generation, make sure that we have an offering that really appeals to them. And the final thing that I'll share with you, which for me is very exciting, is that over the last 20 years, we've seen so many of the Formula One teams move into the business of selling technology goods and services. So you can now come with me to Mercedes-Benz or Red Bull or Ferrari, and they can show you how they're developing technology solutions that they're selling into the automotive industry or to the defense or aerospace industry or to healthcare or to energy. That's another revenue stream. So again, we're back to the D word. We have diversified our sales proposition so that it's no longer just sponsorship. It's lots of other things that we're selling as well. And that's really all helped to grow the industry. So the business has never been in as good shape as it is today in 2023. And that's extraordinary given that we went through that two year global pandemic. So it's been a very exciting time to be uh, involved in the industry. And one thing that reminded me of uh, what you said before, but just now as well, that you know, sales is the economics of business. And so once yeah. you have a background, you really understand the business and the evolving business model because the two are so interconnected. So it's an excellent career that gives incredible opportunities, but also real insight and learning as to how the world works, how economics works as well. So it just reminded yeah. me uh, of, of what you said and how the industry has evolved. All right, we're going to wrap up with who is your hero and Shiro? Well, my hero is, um, I go back to my seven-year-old, my hero is Jackie Stewart. He was the three times world champion when I was a kid. He inspired me because he was so very good at what he did, but he was also a good ambassador for the sport because he was a very articulate presenter. Uh, he built very long-term brand ambassadorships with companies like Ford Motor Company and Goodyear. And can you believe all these years later, he's now in his mid-80s, he's still a brand ambassador for Rolex 50 years after he started working with them. Jackie can sell himself. I mean, that's what he's so very good at doing. So, uh, so that was Jackie Stewart. And he also really pioneered the push in Formula One, which means that a driver like Lewis Hamilton can today realistically expect to have a 20 year career in Formula One and not suffer any life changing injuries or, or worse. So Jackie remains my uh, absolute you know, star and he's my hero. No question about it. Excellent. What, what a role model. Yeah, that's changed a whole industry. Amazing. Yeah. yeah and still going strong as well. Uh, still, what's it? Flying Scott is his nickname, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. And uh, so, yeah, he, he and he, today he um, is is running a ch charity called Race Against Dementia. Yeah. Uh, his wife, wow. Helen, is dementia and Jackie's really pushing to raise funds for mm -hmm. dementia research. Yeah. Yeah. I recently um, was it this year saw him on BBC Breakfast, you know, promoting that, which is brilliant. Yeah. 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 Very good. So how can listeners get hold of you? Now, remember, if anyone's getting hold of you for a ticket, I'm at the front of the queue, right? <laughs> it's always the first thing. That's the first thing I always say on LinkedIn is please don't ask me for tickets. Well, of course, you can find them. Yeah. Mum champagne does not need to be on the menu for mine, all right? <laughs> all right. Yeah. So I'm get hold of you. <laughs> so the easiest way is actually through my company's insights. We have a website, performanceinsights.co.uk. 
UK. You can also find me very easily if you go on LinkedIn and you look for Mark Gallagher and you put in Formula One beside my name. I will immediately come up and you can drop me a message. And I'm always delighted to speak to people, whether they're Formula One fans or sales fans or just want to talk about the business. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've absolutely loved talking to you, Mark. Thank you very much for sharing your your stories. And, you know, I'm going to continue to stalk you. So I, I apologize <laughs> now. <laughs> but, Pleasure, you know, Jen. It's really great. I to love the industry, in. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.